Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number two of Daniel chapter one. And we're going to be reading the first two verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Well, I'll stop reading there. Now, in our last study, we saw that this was taking place in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, which was also the first year of King Nebuchadnezzar, and that was the year 605 B.C. And we read something that we're very familiar with by now, uh, given... Uh, the amount of study that's been put into the information concerning the end of the church age over the last uh, decade or, or more, uh, we've uh, seen very many verses like this. Yet this really is a stunning statement. It It's a, a very hard statement that God is making. Let me read again. The Lord says that came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And th- that would be grievous. But what's even more grievous is verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar. And what's terrible about that statement is that the Lord gave Jehoiakim the king and part of the vessels of the house of God into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And that's um, a very sorrowful thing. It's the reason that God moved Jeremiah to write the book of Lamentations because it is such a sorrowful thing that the people of God, Judah, were so unfaithful. Their dealings with God and his word were so corrupt that God judged them by the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And it was God's doing, it was God's will that the people of Judah be overcome, that Nebuchadnezzar be victorious. And, you know, just just um, saying that, again, we're familiar with that kind of language and those types of things because we we've studied this for some time. But imagine um, 
here you're you're reading the book of Daniel or the book of Jeremiah where much of this information is found and you're a Jew and you read that the God of your people, the God that that formed your people, that brought you out of Egypt and had such special care and concern for you, that the God that was with the people of Judah uh, in a special relationship, unlike any other nation of the world, was now giving you into the hand of this evil king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And not only King Jehoiakim, who was the ruler of Judah, but part of the vessels of the house of God. What a horrible thing it would be to hear this information for the Jews of that time. And yet, it's not incorrect. It's exactly uh, what God wanted to say and what he moved Daniel to write, as well as Jeremiah, oftentimes. In the book of Jeremiah, for instance, let's start in Jeremiah 27. Jeremiah 27, we're going to read about King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, and just from reading the Bible, we'll, we'll learn some biblical history that, again, we're familiar with, but this is good to remind us and to go over these things. In Jeremiah 27, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word unto Jeremiah from Jehovah, saying, Thus saith Jehovah to me, Make thee bonds and yokes, and put them upon thy neck, and send them to the king of Edom, and to the king of Moab, and to the king of the Ammonites, and to the king of Tyrus, and to the king of Zidon, by the hand of the messengers which come to Jerusalem, unto Zedekiah king of Judah, and command them to say unto their masters, Thus saith Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus shall ye say unto your masters, I have made the earth, the man, and the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power, and by my outstretched arm, and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. And now, have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beast of the field have I given him also to serve him. Now, uh, there there's a striking thing that God calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. And also notice, again, that language of giving into his hand. God has given all these lands. And then in verse 7, And all nations shall serve him, and his son, and his son's son, until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom, which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith Jehovah, with a sword and with a famine and with a pestilence, 
until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore, hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, He shall not serve the king of Babylon. For they prophesy a lie unto you, to remove you far from your land, that I should drive you out, and ye should perish. So here God is um, indicating his special use of King Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish the destruction of these lands. In Jeremiah chapter 25, it says, beginning in verse 8, Therefore, thus saith Jehovah of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith Jehovah, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, and a hissing, and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones, and the light of the candle, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. So here again, God is um, moving the prophet Jeremiah to openly proclaim these things were not done in a corner, in an alley of Judah, but they were openly proclaimed to the people of Judah that Nebuchadnezzar, who God again calls his servant, will be served, that he will be given the nations of Judah and surrounding nations, and he will rule for 70 years, and God gives a timeline. Seventy years he will rule, or the the king of Babylon will rule. Of course, that's an important distinction because Nebuchadnezzar did not rule for seventy years, but but um, his uh, his children did. His his descendants were also king of Babylon, and uh, the Israelites, Judah, the people of Judah, were captive in Babylon for 70 years. And then it says in verse 12, and it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith Jehovah, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations and will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it even all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah hath prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of them also, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. Now, here in this 
uh, passage in, in the verses that I read, beginning in verse 8 through verse 14, we we have God's end-time program. We'll get into the spiritual meaning later, but basically the 70 years is a type and figure of the Great Tribulation. Well, then God says when 70 years are accomplished, the the focus of the judgment of God, of the wrath of God, turns from Judah and, and uh, nations that typify the churches to the king of Babylon, to who he represents. And then God's wrath is upon the king of Babylon after the 70 years. And that would relate to the time after the tribulation, which is judgment day. And where we find ourselves, you know, the Bible does say that there's a great tribulation. Let's read this. Uh, you know, when we're going back and reviewing things, this is exactly what we want to do because we often make these statements due to familiarity and we do not review them. But in Matthew 24, it says in verse 20 and following, but pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And then verse 29 of Matthew 24 tells us, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. So um, there we read of the tribulation coming to a close. And in Mark 13, verse 24, it says, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And when we read this carefully, and look at the language carefully, we see there are two periods identified as those days, those days of the tribulation, and those days after that tribulation. And God is breaking up the final judgment of all the unsaved. He uh, begins his judgment process at the house of God, and that would be the days of the tribulation. And he uses Satan to accomplish the judgment on the house of God, the churches. And then after the tribulation, after the church has been judged, comes a period of time that is called those days after the tribulation. And that would identify with God uh, now focusing the judgment on Satan and his kingdom, very much um, following the pattern here in Jeremiah 25 that, that first tells us that God will give the nations into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and for 70 years, and then 
uh, as it says in verse 12, when 70 years are accomplished, when they're finished, when the tribulation concludes immediately after the tribulation, in those days after the tribulation, then God turns the attention, He the judgment transitions from the house of God to Satan's kingdom, typified by Babylon. And, and of course, um, Jeremiah 25 is that chapter in verse 18, where God, uh, verse 17, I'll, I'll read it just to, again, remind ourselves. In Jeremiah 25, then took I the cup at Jehovah's hand and made all the nations to drink unto whom Jehovah had sent me to wit Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, beginning with the house of God, first one mentioned. That's where the judgment process starts. And then uh, if we go down to verse 29 for lo, I begin to bring evil on the city which is called by my name, and should ye be utterly unpunished. Now the Lord is addressing the nations. Um, he, he's basically addressing Babylon. And ye shall not be unpunished, for I will call for a sword upon all the inhabitants of the earth, saith Jehovah of hosts. So we, we see the, um, the pattern we we see the process it starts with Jerusalem it starts with the nation called by God's name it starts with the house of God as Ezekiel chapter 9 says begin at my sanctuary this is where judgment originates where God first begins to pour out the cup of his wrath and then he takes the same cup and gives it to Babylon, and to the king of Babylon, and to the, the, the inhabitants of the earth. They are who Babylon represents. Well, uh, we, we sort of got uh, ahead with looking at the spiritual meaning of things. I want to continue to look at some of the history, the historical statements concerning Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, the Babylonians. Let's go to Second Kings, Second Kings, chapter twenty-four, and we'll read the historical account of um, God bringing judgment on uh, Judah. In Second Kings twenty-four, it says in verse one: In his days, Nebuchadnezzar. King of Babylon. And, and by the way, in the, uh, King James Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, you, you could read the name Nebuchadnezzar, um, C-H-A-D, uh, in the middle there, and, and then Nezer at the end, or you could find the same king referred to as Nebuchadrezzar. Instead of a N on on the um, final syllable, it, it's an R, Nebuchadnezzar or Nebuchadnezzar, and it's a translation of the same Hebrew word. And so, it for some reason, 
the King James translators slightly altered the name um, from time to time. Nebuchadnezzar is found 60 or 61 times, 60 times in the Old Testament. And Nebuchadnezzar, with an R, is found 31 times. And isn't, isn't that something that Nebuchadnezzar, this king of Babylon, has his name mentioned over 90 times in the Old Testament? And that's not um, counting the references to the king of Babylon that do not mention his name. Uh, Babylon itself is a very central figure, and the king of Babylon is very key uh, in uh, in the Bible, as as God has given much attention and has written a great deal about the king of Babylon, and especially Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, it says here in Second Kings twenty four one, in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant three years. Then he turned and rebelled. Against him. Well, let's go down to um, verse 8. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. And we mentioned this in our last study. Another place says Jehoiachin was eight years old, and that's because his father, Jehoiakim, made him co regent. Um, in 608 BC, along with himself, they, they were, they were equally king, but Jehoiakim would have been the dominant king. And Jehoiachin was eight at that time. Ten years later, in, um, 598 BC, Jehoiakim is taken captive. And Jehoiachin is now 18, and he reigns by himself solely for three months. And then he's taken captive in the same year of 598 B.C. And his mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of Jehovah, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers And the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And that would be the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And uh, you, you would count 605 as one and then count down. And you would see 598 is uh, the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar. And he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of Jehovah, and the treasures of the king's house, and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of Jehovah, as Jehovah had said. 
and he carried away all Jerusalem, and all the princes, and all the mighty men of valor, even ten thousand captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths, none remain, save the poorest sort of the people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, and the king's mother, and the king's wives, and his officers, and the mighty of the land. Those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the men of might, even seven thousand, and craftsmen and smiths a thousand, all that were strong and apt for war, even them the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah his father's brother king in his stead and changed his name to Zedekiah. Well, here King Nebuchadnezzar has finished the destruction of Jerusalem, or actually in Second Kings 25, we read about the conclusion of the judgment of Jerusalem um, as far as the, the physical taking of it. In Second Kings 25, beginning in verse 1, And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his host against Jerusalem, and pitched against it, and they built forts against it round about. And the city was besieged unto the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city, and there was no bread for the people of the land. And the city was broken up. And all the men of war fled by night, by the way of the gate between two walls, which is by the king's garden. Now the Chaldees were against the city round about, and the king went the way toward the plain. And the army of the Chaldees pursued after the king, and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And all his army were scattered from him, so they took the king, and brought him up to the king of Babylon to Riblah, and they gave judgment upon him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and bound him with fetters of brass, and carried him to Babylon. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon unto Jerusalem. And he burnt the house of Jehovah and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. And every great man's house burnt he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. Well, we, we can see this is a complete and total destruction. The the city is given into the hands of the king of Babylon. They burnt the house of Jehovah, the temple. Solomon's temple was burnt. That glorious, beautiful temple that God goes into so much detail describing uh, its beauty was burnt 
down by the Babylonians. And not only the temple, but the wall of Jerusalem that later on in the book of Nehemiah, God will uh, have Nehemiah rebuild the wall. And what's that rebuilding of the wall? A picture of salvation. Well, what would be the tearing down of the wall picture of? No more salvation. God has brought judgment to his people, Judah. And again, what when we read um, the historical account of Israel or Judah, they are types and figures. We know this because this is how God wrote the Bible and we can prove it as... Uh, as God uh, speaks elsewhere of using uh, the nation of Israel as a parable, and uh, he he calls their wandering in the wilderness, uh, he identifies them as the church in the wilderness in Acts chapter 7. They are types and figures of the New Testament church. And uh, here God has given them up. God has done this. God is the one who turned over his people and gave them up into the hands of the king of Babylon. It says in 1 Chronicles chapter 6 and in verse 15, and Jehozadak, I don't know who he is particularly, but the rest of, we're, we're reading this verse for the rest of the statement. Jehozadak went into captivity when Jehovah carried away Judah and Jerusalem by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. By the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. But notice before that it said when Jehovah carried away Judah. And Jerusalem. Jehovah carried them away. Well, I thought it was King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians that took them captive. Yes, but God did it by his hand. God wants all to know that this was the cup of his wrath. This was his furious anger being poured out upon the Old Testament nation of Judah, who who were his outward representatives to the people of the world. They, they were the corporate body that represented the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God on earth. And they were rebellious against him, unfaithful towards him. Therefore, he judged them by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, his servant, he uh, he brought this evil king, this ruthless king. Just think of the uh, evil, the the ferocity uh, when when you slay someone's sons before their eyes, right before you put out their eyes. That he was a ruthless, fierce king, and there uh, nothing good about Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, except that he could destroy very well. And and so God commissioned him 
to bring destruction. And in the bringing of the destruction, he was serving God, and that's why God says he's my servant. And that's why he's such a good type and figure of Satan. As Satan is uh, an evil king, ruler of the unsaved people of the world, as he won um, dominion over them through the right of conquest in the Garden of Eden. And God joins together Satan and, and Nebuchadnezzar, or the king of Babylon, in Isaiah chapter 14. It says in verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 14, that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. And what's a proverb? A parable. So God is telling us he's going to speak a parable concerning the king of Babylon. And then as we we continue reading, all of a sudden it says in verse 11 of Isaiah 14, Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend Above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. The king of Babylon is likened to Lucifer, son of the morning. And then we read of Lucifer's desire to be like the Most High, to take his seat, to exalt his throne above the stars of God, and to sit upon the mount of the congregation, which matches very well with the language of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. As it says in Second Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And and here, um, the man of sin being revealed is Satan, when when God reveals through his word, the Bible, that Satan has taken his seat in the temple. And he has done that, as the scriptures have shown that Satan was the one who entered into the churches and congregations and ruled there for the duration of the Great Tribulation, for what the 70 years pictured or typified the actual Great Tribulation period, which was 23 
years from May 21, 1988 through May 21, 2011. Satan ruled. He was showing himself that he was God, the son of perdition, is the same as Lucifer, son of the morning. And so God joins together Satan to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is a type and figure of Satan, of Lucifer. And notice the language in Revelation 20, where uh, in this chapter we read that the Lord Jesus bound Satan and cast him into the bottomless pit, shutting him up for a thousand years. And that thousand years represents completeness of whatever's in view. In this case, it's the completeness of the church age, as Satan was bound in 33 AD, and then he's loosed. And uh, I'm sorry, but uh, 33 AD was the beginning. Uh, 50 days after Christ went to the cross was Pentecost, and it was the beginning of the church age. So Satan was bound in the same year the church age began, and then he's loosed at the end of the church age, which was 1988. And we read of his loosing in Revelation 20, beginning in verse 7, and when the thousand years are expired or finished. And it goes on to say, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So here we have Satan, upon his loosing, gathers a great army together, and goes forth to battle. And that also is similar to King Nebuchadnezzar, who has great armies and has gone to battle. Where did Nebuchadnezzar go to battle? One of the places was Jerusalem. We read in Daniel 1, in the verses that we're looking at, it says in Daniel 1, verse 1, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And you may have noticed that word said a few times in some of the um, history we were reading in Second Kings 24 and 25. They besieged it. The army of the Babylonians was round about Jerusalem. So when they tried to run, there was nowhere to run. The, the Babylonians had encircled Jerusalem. Well, here in Revelation 20, after Satan gathers his army to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea, it says in verse 9, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Here we have Satan and his forces encompassing or besieging the camp of the saints about the churches and congregations of the world. Because Satan is God's instrument. Satan is acting on God's behalf. Satan, it could be said, 
is God's servant to accomplish one thing, the destruction of the corporate church. Not 99% of the churches, as some people out there want to think. They desperately want there to be a church for them to go to. And so they would admit, oh, yes, um, the overwhelming majority of churches are not faithful, which is another way of saying the overwhelming majority of certains had come under the power of Satan. But out there somewhere, there's a faithful church. They They desperately want there to be a stone that has not been toppled. As Jesus said, there will not be one stone left upon another. And yes, the, the wall of Jerusalem is in, in complete, uh, disarray and destruction and it, it's, it's been brought down. But here over here, there's a stone upon another. No, not one stone left upon another. Not one church, not one reformed church or Presbyterian church or Episcopalian or Lutheran or independent church. Not one church anywhere in the world, because that is the Bible's teaching. That's the spiritual meaning. If you're going to be consistent with the Bible, and if not, then don't read the book of Jeremiah. If you, if you want to insist that God has not brought judgment on all churches, well, You cannot read the book of Jeremiah and not see that it's a complete and total 100% judgment upon the people of God, Judah. Or you can read the book of Jeremiah and forget, conveniently, that God spoke in parables and without a parable he did not speak. You can become like the corporate church itself and no longer look or seek for spiritual meaning in order to continue your charade, to continue the farce of wanting to go to church, well, yes, you can do that too. But the truth is that God has laid out in the book of Jeremiah his end-time judgment program, and it begins with his people, it begins with Jerusalem, it begins with a nation called by his name, judgment begins at the house of God, and with that judgment at the house of God, the temple is burnt. The temple that represents the corporate church is burned with fire. The wall that represents the wall that the church has been building up is broken down, and All must go into captivity. Oh, but not all went, did they? Not all went. There was a remnant that were permitted to stay in the land. And aren't God's people typified by a remnant? Well, that's true. That's true. There was a remnant that that were permitted to stay in the land. But they were permitted to stay by whom? Who gave the allowance. Who gave the permission for the remnant to stay in the land? Nebuzaradan, the captain of 
of the king of Nebuchadnezzar's host, the Babylonians. It was the king of Babylon that granted permission for a few to Israelites or people of Judah to stay in their land. That is, Satan allowed them to stay. Satan is the one who permitted that remnant to stay on in the land. And and that remnant, if you read on in uh, the book of Jeremiah, you'll find is not a faithful remnant at all. After the, the governor that the king of Babylon appointed was slain in fear, all of them, the entire remnant, flee to Egypt in direct violation against the commandment of God through his prophet Jeremiah that they not go to Egypt. And then their true colors surfaced. You speak falsely, will not listen to you. We will worship the queen of heaven and our wives will continue to burn cakes to her. You see, the remnant was not the true remnant of God's elect, but a phony remnant trying to give appearance of God's elect. Oh, we're we're reformed, and we go to these few um, reformed churches that are left that are faithful, but the church age is ongoing. That's who the remnant in Jeremiah is picturing, the phony Christians that deep down, they're not God's people, but they desperately want to give the appearance of being that remnant. They they know a lot of biblical truth concerning the judgment of God on the church and will allow for 99% of it, but not us, not us, oh, not us. And and yet, no, God says it's 100%. And anyone staying in the land, anyone who would remain, God likened to a basket full of evil figs, it, it, the good figs were the ones that were carried away. They came out of the land of Judea and went into captivity, into Babylon. There's no escaping, no getting away from the fact the church age is over. There is no returning to a church that has been destroyed. It, you might as well go back to um, Israel that, that God destroyed in the first century A.D. Uh, because once God leaves a corporate body, as he did Israel long ago, he never returns. And the Holy Spirit came out of the midst of the church and is never going to return. Well, let's go back here to to our verse in Daniel 1. And read it again in Daniel chapter 1, in verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar. Shinar is another reference to Babylon. And and here God is indicating that he not only gave Jehoiakim into his hand, but part of the vessels of the house of God. And the reason why it's partial is because this is early on in Nebuchadnezzar's reign 
and his besieging of Jerusalem. Uh, At at this point, he is not, uh, this is 605 B.C., and it's not until uh, later on with um, Zedekiah in 587 B.C. that the house of God is burnt and, and the wall is torn down and, and so forth. So, and, and all the vessels at that point, the remainder of the vessels are taken. Uh, right now, it's only a partial removal of, uh, the, the vessels in the house of God. It says in Jeremiah 27, in Jeremiah 27, beginning in verse 19. For thus saith Jehovah of hosts, concerning the pillars, and concerning the sea, and concerning the bases, and concerning the residue of the vessels that remain in this city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took not. Now, see, it says concerning the residue, the remaining vessels that uh, Nebuchadnezzar did not take, which which means that he had already taken some, uh, and and that's what Daniel is referring to, the, the part of the vessels that, that that were in the house of God. Well, it goes on to say here concerning the remainder of the vessels, um, verse twenty, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took not when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah. In Jerusalem, yea, thus saith Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of Jehovah, and in the house of the king of Judah, and of Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon, and there shall they be, until the day that I visit them, saith Jehovah. Then will I bring them up, and restore them to this place. Now the vessels are types and figures of God's elect. Or actually, a vessel in and of itself can just represent man, mankind. And it could be a saved man or an unsaved man. Uh, As we read in Romans uh, chapter 9, in Romans 9, God speaks of all people uh, in these verses, in, in this section of Romans 9, beginning in verse 21, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. Here, it's the whole human race that's in view. Some are vessels unto honor, others to dishonor, some vessels fitted to destruction, other vessels of mercy. In other words, saved and Unsaved, elect, non-elect, and and yet it's the word vessel 
in the New Testament. And many of the vessels in the sanctuary, in the temple, were vessels of gold. We'll, we'll just look at, um, one verse in Exodus 37. Exodus 37 and verse 16. And we could read, um, many verses like this. And he made the vessels which were upon the table his dishes and his spoons and his bowls and his covers to cover with all of pure gold. That's why uh, the Babylonians took them because they were gold and and they were valuable or maybe of other precious metals and 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 so historically you can see why a conquering army would take the vessels that were in the house of God. They were valuable. They were worth money. And and so they they took these vessels, and yet Nebuchadnezzar placed them in the house of his God. And that is just showing that Nebuchadnezzar is the conqueror. He's the victor over the church. And when God commanded his people come out of her, to leave the churches and congregations and to go out into the world. Well, the world is typified by Babylon, the Satan's domain, the, the place of his rule. And, and therefore it was like coming out of the, the kingdom uh, of God uh, as the church represented God's kingdom and into the place where Satan ruled, or coming under the rule of the king of Babylon. Now, I'm not sure why there's such an emphasis on the house of his God, the house of his God. But we do know that when the 70 years came to a close, and King Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, conquered Babylon... Uh, and, and when he did so, he was a great type and figure of the Lord Jesus Christ that would conquer Satan at the end of the Great Tribulation, the beginning of Judgment Day. This is the command that Cyrus uh, decreed in Ezra chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. Also Cyrus, the king, brought forth the vessels of the house of Jehovah, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and had put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithradath the treasurer and numbered them unto Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah." Now notice that statement. These vessels are numbered, and that reminds us of uh, the elect that that God has numbered, and and uh, He has chosen from before the foundation of the world. They're numbered unto Sheshbazar, and that's another name for Zerubbabel, a great type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's called the Prince of Judah, as Jesus is, the Prince of Judah. He's he's the King of Israel. And then it goes on to say, 
and this is the number of them, 30 chargers of gold, a thousand chargers of silver, nine and twenty knives, 30 basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, 410, and other vessels, a thousand. And that number's 2,499, uh, which would break down to three times seven times seven times seventeen. And, uh, the next verse says, all the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these did Sheshbazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. So there's a, a different total. So there's other items as well as the 2499. But when Babylon fell, the Israelites, the, the people of Judea, were set free. You, you can return to your land. And that uh, pictures the deliverance. It's a similar picture to the coming out of Egypt. And, and Cyrus is the one freeing the captives. But he also frees the vessels. And, and the vessels are given to Sheshbazar, a type of Christ. And, and they also are to return to the house of God. It's a wonderful picture of deliverance, of, uh, of great salvation. All the Jews in Babylon are translated out of the kingdom of Babylon into the kingdom of God once again. Uh, and again, this would relate to the completion of God's salvation program at the end of 70 years this takes place, the end of the Great Tribulation and into the time of the beginning of the period after the Tribulation. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.